Dear Lord, again, we thank you for the opportunity to be together and um, to meet new people. They're like-minded and on their own journeys. And Lord, we're thankful that you have given us each uh, a separate journey and that you have a different destination. Well, I guess the same destination for all of us, and that's to be with you. And we pray that as we, as we talk, Lord, that you would be glorified and that... Um, everyone to get a better glimpse of you and your plan for them in jesus name amen all right so this is the business of farming and um this could have gone a lot of different directions so we're going to go a lot of different directions and we'll see how it goes so we're going to start kind of with um our testimony and it was in 2010 Oh, sure. So we're, okay, so part one, we're going to talk about our testimony, some business structure, insurance, infrastructure. Um, so this is the story of us. So we have, I have a background in construction and my wife um, in food service. Ten years ago, 2010, we had no interest in agriculture. And I wouldn't say we had no interest. I mean, we kind of grew up having gardens and one time we had, a, we had some friends in our church and they were trying to grow a bigger, better garden and I don't think we were part of it, but it kind of inspired us and we did a little thing, but we basically had no interest. And um, we had some friends, the Leshers, Larry and Michelle or Mikey that were out in Seattle and they had a farm and I remember going out to their farm and visiting and it was like, we were out there for a couple hours, it seemed like an eternity. I was like, can we just go? Like, get the food. Let's get out of here. <laughs> like, you know, I was more into action sports, like nail guns and, you know. Anyway. Um, it's interesting how the Lord changes us, right? So we built, our, we built our first house during our first year of marriage with little prior experience. And I was like 22, and I think my wife was 23, and everyone said we were crazy, and we probably were. Um, and then we went on to build several other houses. So what really piqued our interest was we started a church garden um, at our church in the back there. And it was getting to the point where we were trying to f spend more and more time at the garden. And I was, this was after 2008. Thankfully, we sold all our houses right up to 2008, pretty much, at the peak of the market. Not because we were really good, but because the Lord blessed us. And we got out while the getting was good. But, um, and I w we had our first kid, and I went to work for a friend during construction. And the economy kind of went down, and we were doing a lot of commercial construction. And I was driving up to two hours each way to work. And, um, and then I'd stop by on the way home sometimes and visit Deidre and the kids at church at the garden. And... We just felt like we were trying to spend more and more time out there, and we had a like a month lapse in jobs, and so I was kind of forced to stay home, and we were kind of sitting there one day, and we're like, man, this agriculture thing might be kind of fun, and I could be together more, and I don't remember which one of us said it, but somebody said, well, maybe we should just go do an internship, and we kind of looked at each other for a couple seconds, we're like, fine, let's do it. And that was how we did it. We left our work. At that time, I was making, I don't know, 65 to $100 an hour doing commercial construction and no experience in agriculture. And we pretty much quit and left. And we went to Black Hills Health and Education Center and we made $600 a month for six months. And our big plan was to go back to Seattle on our last $600 stipend. And we didn't have a house, we didn't have, we did, but we rented it out. So we didn't know what we were doing. I, I don't know if I'd recommend this to everyone, but we like to jump in. And Philippians 2, 12 and 13 um, basically says that the Lord will give you, will make your desires his desires, and he'll make a way for it to happen. So we're like, all right, Lord, if you've given us this desire, you know, because I was the kind of guy that would go to Barnes & Noble and look at all the books and, you know, see whatever and agriculture just like slapped me upside the head and 
it didn't come from me. So we jumped into farming with both feet. And, and one quick thing, when we were at Black Hills, um, we had planned on this job I had, we were gonna make, we were gonna try and save like $30,000 over the summer. And when we went to the Black Hills, um, and we were making $600 a month, a month before we were supposed to come back, my brother got married in Washington, and we drove back to Washington, and anyway, we lived right next door to my parents. My wife moved in next door to me. That's how we met. And then we built multiple houses. So when we went back to visit, we'd stay with her dad, and we had houses there. And the day after the wedding, my neighbor called me and said, your house is on fire. And I just happened to be there, right? So we ran down the street and helped get the fire out and everything. And um, after we got the insurance money, we redid the work. And guess what? We had about $30,000 left over. We made $600 a month, worked on the farm. We're with the family. And the Lord still gave us the money. So for us, that was kind of a confirmation that he'll provide. He'll make it happen. So, so we, we came back. And I don't know where all that money went, but we started Healing Foods Farm. And um, I remember we went to the local church because they had this nice piece of land and talked to them. And they didn't even think about it. They just said, no, we're not interested. And we're afraid that if you have a garden, the birds will poop on the roof. And I don't know, whatever. So, but there was a guy there that said, I have five acres you can use. And... You can just work on the barn, and you can use it for like five years until you get some money, and then you can start your own farm. And I happened to meet another guy at a job site, and he had a tractor he was trying to sell, and he lived literally like a mile down the road. So he's like, I'll just trade you some work, and you can use the tractor. So we had land and a tractor. Um, we trenched the water line from the neighbor, who was probably, I don't know, 1,500 feet away. And our house was 15 minutes away, which is kind of a, I wouldn't recommend that. If you're going to start a farm, don't do that. We had no electricity or a cooler or a wash station or tools or nothing. The only thing, we, we had a cedar and it was like this, you know. <laughs> Two-handed cedar. We had, we had two hands. That was it. Um, the only thing, we had no debt and our investment capital was approximately $3,000. At this point, we had two kids. Uh, my wife was in nursing school, and we were putting her through nursing school with no loans. So this isn't like, this isn't a great scenario to start a farm. So year farm, year one, not year farm, but year one, we had one farmer's market. We had a 12 to 25 person home delivery service and CSA. And you know, we grew up there, so we knew lots of people. So selling food wasn't the issue, it was growing the food. Um, it was sold to a local grocery store and one restaurant. And I, our first year, we grossed right at $2,800. Yeah, that's, that's the total amount we made, right? Like, I don't even, yeah. And you guys eat more than that, so. We, we, we lost our entire tomato crop to blight. Um, and the season came to a screeching halt in August. Like nothing grew. Like we went out there and it was just done. So, yeah, that was our peak season. Should have been. So the year number two was basically a repeat of the first year. And this was just the Lord trying to like beat me up, you know? Because I'm like, I, I come out of construction, like the, the practical side is not hard for me. You know, if you need to do it, you just get a tractor, you get a tool, right? You just make it work. And that, that's not always how it works. He was trying to slow me down. And I remember reading Ellen White and, you know, she says, you know, to go out into nature and look at nature and try and understand it. And I'm like, how, how do you do that? You know? And so, you know, I'm out there, I'm trying to do this thing and... We have two things on our property that grew in abundance. That was Japanese knotweed and comfrey. And comfrey we didn't even know was there. And so we had the fortunate, 
I say fortunate, opportunity of tilling in like two acres of comfrey and then tilling it again. Yeah, and again. And then we're like, what's all this stuff? And anyway, so by the end of it, we had comfrey that was this tall. And we were cutting it and putting it in big drums and letting it break down and fertilizing. And it had everything that our soil needed. But when you put it in big drums and it starts breaking down, it smells like manure. I thought it smelled like gold, but other people had different opinions. So somehow we heard about Bob Gregory, and we called him, and we decided to go out there. And he basically said he, we sent him our soil report, which I guess I decided that was a good thing to take, to get. And he said it was the worst soil report he had ever seen for someone trying to make a living on the land. So that was encouraging to us, because <laughs> like, yeah, this isn't our fault. And we don't know anything, but it's not our fault. So, time for prayer and reevaluation. So, at that point, we were called away. For some reason, they thought that we were qualified to run the farm at the Black Hills Health and Education Center. Um, you know, but the, the actual planting, like the farming side of it, we did pretty good. We just didn't know anything about soil. Uh, so, we went there for two years, we added infrastructure. We um, worked on the wash pack expansion. We managed the interns there. We expanded the CSA program to 75 people. Uh, we had multiple wholesale accounts. We had farmers markets. And 75 person CSA program in South Dakota is a little stressful. When, you know, we had times when a hailstorm would come through and all you have left is beets and carrots. And but the Lord always provided. So we were there for two years, and we were called away again. We accepted a position at um, Daystar Adventist Academy. You guys ever heard of that place? Yeah. It's a great place to live. Um, so we helped establish the market garden there. Um, we put in deer fence, irrigation, wash pack. We assisted in further building local market streams. And one of our biggest pushes was to get the entire campus involved with the farm, making it central to campus life. So that was a huge blessing. And after two years, we kind of decided that um, having our kids, we had four kids by this time, and having them at a high school wasn't the best place for us to be at that point in our life. So we decided to move away, and we were reading welfare ministry and we felt impressed um, to get into welfare ministry and a door opened up in Kentucky and so we went out there we were there for three months and you know we were looking for property we were looking for we were just trying to do our part we didn't have any money but we were looking and waiting on the Lord and all the doors closed and it was coming up to fall and we were living in a barn and it was a newer, nicer barn, but still, there was, it was a barn. Um, I don't think it had heat yet. And we, um, yeah, we were just waiting. So, I was, yeah. So we got called home to South Dakota, and we had our, there was a friend there, a couple, older couple, in their 70s. Um, and they called us one day and said, hey, we see you guys are kind of floundering out there, which I would say we were. And they said, we have this property. We knew them well from before. They used to volunteer on the farm. And you know, we'd like to turn it over, hand it over to a younger couple. We were thinking about doing it later, but maybe now is the time. And um, so we went out and talked to them, and it worked out. We moved out there a few weeks later. And so we, we partnered with them. And our plan was a five-year transition plan. And our plan was to build them a house on the property. Um, so we've been there for three years, and things don't always go as planned. And I hope you guys can see that. Like, we don't have any idea what we're doing as we go, <laughs> right? Like, we didn't come up with this grand plan of this is what we're going to, you know, we're going to move to South Dakota and do this and this and this. Like, the Lord is the Lord's opening a door. And we're moving forward, okay? 
um, yeah, so we're going to put our testimony on hold for a second. And so we decided um, that we were going to partner with them for five years. And then, you know, if, if we wanted to keep them on, if they wanted to keep working, you know, because they were already retired, that we could do that. So we decided that the best way to do that uh, was to start a limited liability company or an LLC. Uh, it took a lot of work trying to figure out all the ins and outs of that because I'm not a lawyer, I'm a farmer, builder, whatever. Um, but in, in writing the operating agreement, it made us ask all the questions we had to ask. You know, I think a lot of people get in trouble when they join up with other people or say, we're going to do this. And it sounds all great, but you get going down the road and people's minds change or a family member dies, or they see, oh, wow, we can make money at this, you know? Or who knows what, but... So it probably took us a good six months working on the operating agreement, and we went through everything. You know, like, what happens if you guys get divorced, or we get divorced, or what happens if somebody dies, or your kid wants to come in and take over, or we tried to think of every scenario possible and think it out and write it out. And I think that was one of the biggest blessings that we could have done. Um, so recommended reading books. We talked to I read this book, which is Run Your Own Corporation. And it's really good. I read it probably four times here and there through. And some of it makes sense and some still doesn't make sense. But um, it's a good book. We talked to it. So what we did is we, I read this, and then we wrote up an operating agreement and did everything. And then I found a lawyer that would look at it. So we went down, we paid her, I don't know, too much for like an hour. We sent it to her, she read it, she looked at it, and she made these recommendations. And she said, you guys are good. So instead of paying her to write it all, we just wrote it, and then she looked it over. So there's other options. Um, you can do a sole proprietorship. And many farmers, not only farmers, but many business people choose this option. It's much simpler. We may be switching to this structure because we're not partnered with them anymore. It is easier. Um, you know, we're small. We don't really have a lot to, to lose at this point. There's also downsides. Yeah, basically, the, the benefit to an LLC is it's like its own entity. So if people came after you, they couldn't just go after all your personal stuff, right? They can go after the company, but not all your personal stuff. But if a lawyer knows what he's doing, he can also probably go after your personal stuff too. But there's an extra layer of protection there. Um, there's also other benefits, like if somebody was to try and sue you for eating your tomato that they thought was rotten. You know, if they got on there and saw that you were an LLC, they would have to think, okay, do I really want to pay a lawyer, whatever, to go through all this process? You know, if it's a sole proprietor, they can just, they can just sue you, and it makes it a lot easier. The other thing to think about is that sole proprietorships are audited way more than LLCs or other companies. And the reason is because you know, it's easy to go down and get a sole proprietorship. Anyone can do it. And um, I guess they think that more people, if you're going through all the work of getting an LLC or different things, you probably have a better idea of what you're doing. So you can think about that. So a corporation is, you know, in my opinion, is a lot of work with a little benefit to the small guy. And I'm saying small guy like, you know, if you're making $30,000 a year, you know, don't spend six months trying to figure out your business. Like, just start making money and figure it out as you go. Um, but liability protection is the goal. And, you know, ta there are some tax considerations, but like I said, if you're not, if you're making, you know, over $100,000 a year, then 80000 you should probably talk to an accountant and figure out what's best for you. Yeah, and these aren't set in stone. If you start out with a sole proprietorship, you can switch to an LLC. 
you know, if you have an LC, you can switch to something else. Sometimes it gets harder and a little trickier, but you're not set in stone. And basically, there's too many scenarios to try and cover which is best. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And um, yeah, if you have more questions, you can ask us. But so insurance, um, we recommend that you find a good insurance agent in your area. We use one of Dave Ramsey's endorsed local providers, and she's been good to work with. So right now we have basically $2 million in liability coverage, and that costs us $250 a year. And, you know, and we, we're required to have that for farmer's market, so we're already paying for liability protection. Um, you can also get an umbrella policy, which can give you more protection. And those aren't that expensive either. So what, what I've heard, and I'm not a lawyer, but what I've heard some people are doing more now is that they're just getting more liability coverage with their insurance and kind of skipping the step of LLCs and things. But people are doing lots of things, so I don't know if that's good or not, but that's what people are doing. Um, so we went. Sure, you can talk for a second. He said we were going to take turns, and he keeps talking. Okay. <laughs> so um, when we went to the Black Hills, basically we took over this partnership with this this older couple. The name of the garden was Tobias Garden, and part of the agreement was that it would stay Tobias Garden. Um, so we have Tobias Garden that's in the Black Hills of South Dakota, and. There were benefits of going back because we knew the market. We already had been there. We, um, you know, we were there for two years at the Black Hills Health and Education Center. So we had established customers. And when we left, no one, no one stepped in and filled that market. And so they were basically sitting there waiting when we came back. Um, we knew that we had some things to contend with, though. When we went back, it wasn't just stepping in and everything is good. Um, it's basically a bunch of cattle ranchers, and the local food movement there is pretty much non-existent. And so, you know, there's a lot of education that we have to do. Um, there's a smaller population base. There's a seasonal flux in the summer because there's a lot of people that come to see Mount Rushmore and the Black Hills and Crazy Horse and all that. But um, we don't have like a really big metropolitan area that we service. Um, <coughs> We have really short growing seasons, and even during our growing season, we have some extreme weather. So we told you guys a little bit about this this morning. I have a couple pictures on here to show you some of what we deal with. So this was the hailstorm that, that we had that was um, our first year back, and it was like August 20-something. And we went to church. We came home to this hail. and. Um, it just destroyed, I mean, these are strawberries. There's like nothing left. It destroyed everything that was outside and a lot of what was in our greenhouse. And if you're unaware, um, ice, hey, click it one more time, is really great for sledding. Like you can get some really speed. <laughs> so this is our son sledding in the, in the ice that day. So there are perks to having extreme weather in the summer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So, and then um, this was, this spring, um, this was May 23rd, I took these pictures, I think, this is our garlic down here. We had about 18 inches of snow, and we weren't expecting it, so we didn't open the roof on the greenhouse, so we had a huge snow load up there, of wet, heavy snow, um, which actually did some damage to the greenhouse, but um, yeah, just really unexpected things that happen and anytime we get a thunderstorm in the season like it could be hail we don't know so we try to cover as much as possible so we knew going into it that we needed some infrastructure in place to deal with that so we wanted to talk a little bit about infrastructure and um, when you're deciding what type of infrastructure to get whether it's greenhouses or a packing shed or if you want to put up a house for propagating like a small greenhouse for propagation First, you want to assess what resources you have available, right? Because we, when you don't have the money, then you can get pretty resourceful and you can make things, like we were showing you guys this morning, some of the tools that we've made because we couldn't afford to buy the tools or things like that. Um, and then if you're starting from ground zero, 
you want to think long-term and scalable. So we talked a little bit about a greenhouse and how we made this big investment to buy this big greenhouse, but then every improvement that we have to make is a huge investment every step of the way. And so if you start small, start you know with something small but that you can add on to, maybe not like a grandiose level, I don't know. And it's always a good idea when, um, if you're thinking about like investing in something to do a cost versus income potential comparison. So do you want to talk about that graph a little bit? Sure. And I'm not sure if we're talking about it later, but um, as far as debt goes, we don't recommend going into debt, especially, well, we don't recommend going into debt at the beginning. Especially. Especially. I don't know that we encourage you to go into debt later, but you know, if we would have gone into debt our first two years, we would have been hosed. You know, if we would have gone out and bought a $20,000 tractor and this and this, and we made $2,800 a year, it wouldn't have been good. Um, you know, we've been doing it now for 10 years. We feel like we have things pretty streamlined or dialed, not dialed in, but like we know where we're going. You know, at the beginning we started with a tractor, then we got a bigger tractor and a bigger tractor and then no tractor, you know? So we feel like we're pretty um, settled in the, in the type of farming we want to do. So basically all this is showing that, um, you know, if you're going to have a, a greenhouse that's going to cost you um, $20,000, you have a monthly loan payment of $378. And let's say that you're going to earn $4 a square foot out of that greenhouse, you'll generate $12,000 in revenue. And your year one loan payments are going to be $4,500. And then next year you get a little better and you're making $5 a square foot. You know, the loan payment's the same. And by the end of it, Year eight, you're making $24,000. Sorry, year five, uh, you're making $8 a square foot and you're up to $24,000. So basically, all this is showing you is that for the cost of $22,680, you have the potential of generating $91,500. And I would just like to say that I've seen a lot of great farmers on spreadsheets, right? <laughs> And it doesn't always mean that you're going to do good at all. You know, this is just kind of showing you, like, if I invest $20,000, I have the potential, you know, of generating 91. So can I afford not to do it? Can I afford to do it? You know, those are the, kind of the questions. So there's a quote that, that goes something like, a farmer has to be an optimist or he wouldn't still be a farmer. So... People who grow and farm like we're kind of like these perpetual optimists. And so when we're talking about crunching numbers, you have to be less of an optimist and more of a realist. And like, can we really do that? And maybe, maybe, maybe dial it back just a little. I don't know, but it's better to be realistic than to have <laughs> to be like super optimistic and be wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah, so even if you cut these numbers in half, you know, you still have the potential of generating twenty thousand dollars off of your above your loan payment so that's just kind of what that's showing um, so you want to minimize minimize upfront costs by having multi-purpose structures so you know for us instead of building a tool shed we put our tools in the greenhouse which also helps with efficiency um, you know this year we're moving our packing shed to our greenhouse um, so you want to use what you have or invest for what you need. So we chose to not borrow money. Um, we had the greenhouse structure. It, it wasn't necessarily our plan to have it, but we got it. And it just so worked out that we sold our last house in Seattle like the week we needed the money. And so we bought that. Um, with, we bought our greenhouse before we had property, which doesn't make any sense, but... Um, <laughs> So our packing shed, we had a, a 24 foot moving truck, which was another, another miracle. When we were in Seattle and the Lord called us to Black Hills, we had a pickup truck that um, we felt the Lord was telling us to give away. 
And we're like, doesn't make any sense. We're moving across country. We have this pickup truck, but we gave it away. And it was like a week later, the guys that had the farm there in Seattle said, we got this 24 foot moving truck we're going to give you. And they put new brakes on it. They changed the title for us and they gave us a thousand dollars in gas. <coughs> so that was a big confirmation that the Lord was, you know, and we used that thing to move to South Dakota, then to Utah, and then to Kentucky, and then back to South Dakota. So once we got to South Dakota, we said we're done moving, and we ripped the box off the back and plunked it on the ground, and that was our packing shed. Um, so it's like a container. It looks like a shipping Yeah, it's just like a big yellow shipping container. It says best salvage on the side. Um, so basically we made, we've been making it work with little upfront investment. Um, and we built as we needed, step-by-step -step process as the need arises. This isn't always the best way because, I mean, literally the first year, you know, we're like, oh, we've got to irrigate, you know, and we're trying to dig ditches. And as soon as that's done, now we have the lettuce, we've got to wash it, you know, and we're like building the packing shed. And it's not ideal, but that's what we had. Um, so this, you can't really see it, but that's our first year. We have a roof on, we don't have sides on. Um, So there's our packing shed. You can, it's dark, but basically this packing shed is eight by 24 foot. And that's a triple base sink there. Behind it, we have a, a tank that we wash our totes in. We have a salad spinner, wash machine, a table. That's where we, when we wash all our totes, that's where we dry them. And that's our cooler. So, and that's where we dry them too. Um, yeah, and then last year or the year before, we added this trailer that our neighbors had, Janet Richard, and that's where we packed all our CSA boxes. Before, we were doing it in the other packing shed, and we had a piece of ply that we put down over the three-bay sink, and we'd pack all our boxes. It's really hard, though. Um, you know, just challenges like our cooler we got for free. We had to put an AC unit and stuff in it, but... It's um, eight feet long. So basically what we're stuck doing is we harvest for a market. The whole thing will get filled up. We go to market. It's empty. We harvest again for the next market. You know, so we're like harvesting repeatedly throughout the week. If we had a bigger cooler, you know, we could harvest it more in batches and store, you know, and then maybe harvest for two markets at one time, but it's, it's challenging. So basically, our, our circumstances changed abruptly. And as the Lord opens doors, you pray and you walk through them. So our plan was to build a house for Janet and Richard um, on the property. Before we came, they decided to break off an acre. And the Lord opened all the doors for that to happen. But we we're trying to build them a house. And it just seemed like all the doors were closing. Um, and I talked to a neighbor a while back. I said, hey, if you ever want to sell your house, let us know. Because Deidre's dad was interested in moving out to the area. And so he came, he, he talked to us a few months later and said, hey, I'm selling the house earlier than I thought. You guys interested? And um, we're like, her dad had just got remarried, so he wasn't interested anymore. But, you know, the wheel started turning. And I said, I don't know. We'll think about it. And I that day I was talking to a friend and um, I was just kind of telling him about this opportunity and, and he kind of blurted out, well, maybe we'll loan you the money. And we're like, well, this is different, you know? Hadn't really thought about this, you know, not actually building a house and just farming and all these things. And um, so I talked to Janet and Richard and they're interested, but we had to finance the farm. So up to this point, this like this dear old couple that we are partnering with, they like sacrificed three quarters of their house to let a family with four small children move in to the house with them. So we were sharing a house with them with the intention of then building a house for them on the property. They had subdivided off an acre. So um, now they want to buy the house next door instead of building a house, but we had to come up with the money to buy their house from them before they could buy the house next door. So now it's like, what do we want to do? Because we decided we weren't going to have any debt. So. 
And even if we wanted to get debt, who would be stupid enough to loan us money? <laughs> right? Like, we don't make any money. We don't make any money. Um, so, so the friend that told me, well, maybe we can loan you money, he said, well, maybe in the meantime, while we're, we're praying about it, you guys look around and see what you can find. And unfortunately, at this point, I kind of laughed, you know, because I, I'd done everything I could. You know, I'd talked to banks. When we were in Kentucky, we went and talked to Farm Credit Services, and they said, hmm, you know, with a family of six, according to the national averages, you guys have to make at least $50,000 just to cover your food and basic expenses. And you'd have to have three years of that, you know, and we came out of self-supporting work, which is not lucrative financially, but other ways. Um, so I started calling banks. You know, I just called, I had a whole list, and I just started going through, and I called Farm Credit Service the last because I knew what they were going to say. And the guy said, well, have you talked to Farm Service Agency? And I said, who in the world is that? And he, so he told me, and I called him, and, uh, you know, it's not very often that you call a government agency and you talk to them. And I talked to this lady, younger lady, and she's like, sure, yeah, well, sounds great. Yeah, and I said, well, what about this? Huh. And she said, no, that'll work. And everything I, I said, they were like, yeah, we can do that. And, um, and I told Deidre, and she's like, yeah, right, let's go. So we drug all the kids in there, you know, and like, look, we have four kids we got to support. And, and they fell in love with our kids. And anyway, they, they still said no problems. So basically, the Farm Service Agency, how many people have heard about them? A small handful. So their whole uh, purpose is to help small farms get started. Beginning farmers. So they have some qualifications, but um, they require some basic experience, a business plan, projections. And so these are some of the qualifications, okay? You can't qualify at a regular bank. Well, we met that one, okay? You must be an owner-operator. So you can't start a farm, pay somebody else to do it, and you sit down in Mexico. Uh, it needs to show cash flow. So on paper, you, know, you need to basically project that you're going to make money from it, even if, you know, and they work with you on all these things. You have to be a beginning farmer of less than 10 years. So this means that you have to be starting your own farm, not that you've been farming for 10 years, right? Because I started back in 2010, but our actually first farm of our own, you know, wasn't that long ago. And they have some other basic requirements. So basically, they can finance up to a 40-year loan, which for us was good because it kept the payments low. We're not planning on paying it off in 40 years, hopefully way sooner, but for us right now, it's good. They didn't require a down payment, and they have low interest rates. So for us, you know, I would consider us high risk, and our interest rate on a 40 year is 4.125 with no down payment. So they have some really good features as far as um, flexibility. So if I pay ahead, you know, if I'm making extra payments and I get to a year where I have a bad year, they can take the extra payments and put it towards your, your payments for this year. Um, if you have a bad year, they can take the whole year and put it to the end of the loan. You know, so like this year, in theory, I guess we could have gone down there and said, you know, we had snow, we had this and this and this, and you know, they could say, okay, and take the whole year and put it to the end of the loan. And they can do that, I think, up to three times before they even have to talk to their supervisor. So everything's really local. and. Um, and then you can have annual or monthly payments. So, and you can choose the date. So for us, we didn't have money at that time for a mortgage, right? So we said, we wanna make the payment next September or October, right after the peak of the season, we can pay the mortgage. And so we basically got a loan on the house for 40 years, no down payment, and we didn't even start paying for a year. So it is really set up for beginning farmers that are trying to get things going.
They also have operating loans that you can get, like a seven-year note, and those are at 2.5%. Um, and on those, they can even defer the interest for the first year. So if you're getting you know, $30,000 for a greenhouse, you can basically pay the interest on that, which would be like you know, $150, $400, whatever it is. Give you a year to get the greenhouse up and running, making money before you even make a payment on it. So it's pretty unique. And, you know, the, the person that we've been working with is super flexible. Whatever you need, we can do. Um, so they, they've been a big blessing. And, you know, it's, uh, <clears throat> and for me, I'm really glad that we got a loan from them instead of our friend. You know, because the friend, if we have financial trouble, it's like, you know, we go to church with them or whatever. And um, so, granted, it is the government, but we feel like we're using the Lord's, the government's money to do the Lord's work. So, so basically, we financed the property and got a mortgage through them, and it was seamless, um, kind of. We were approved the day that the government shut down. And... Uh, that was a challenge because the people that were buying, the people next door had already put an offer in the house in Texas and everything was like, everyone was dependent upon each other. And it got to the point where it was like, you have less than a week to come up with the money or we're backing out and we have to sell our house. And the government was still shut down. You know, we're kind of sweating bullets and the government reopens finally in January and we call them and they're like, well, Everything's reopened, but we don't have any money. Everything has to be reallocated and come down the channels, right? But they called back like two hours later and said, we got a loan for you from another bank, a bridge loan, and they've approved it and everything. And so they got us a loan. The government got us a loan through another place for like a two-month bridge loan. And so they've really gone above and beyond to... Um, help us get through this process. So basically we got the, the money, which enabled Janet and Richard to move next door. Part of this process was um, they had to be owner operators. So either Janet and Richard were gonna have to co-sign or get off the loan. And neither one of us wanted you know, to co-sign. Well, if they co-signed, they would qualify for a loan. Yeah, so that, yeah. If they qualified, then they would take, if they co-signed, then they would take their income and put it on the income and then we wouldn't qualify. So it basically forced them out of the equation, out of the business. And they were okay with that. We were okay with it. And this worked out well in the long run. And once again, the Lord had a plan before we did. Okay, so on the bottom it says, once again, the Lord had a plan before we did. So the plan was, is that Janet and Richard were gonna work with us for five years and they'd worked two seasons Right? And this was the third year. And so they moved into their house next door um, in February, March. And it was about April that Richard started having heart problems. And his heart was like all over the place. And it, would, it got to the point where it would like just stop beating. And then it would start up again. And so he went on with this for a couple of months and ended up getting a pacemaker. And... It took him a while to recover, and then Janet, in May, she was having all kinds of health problems, it wasn't feeling good, and she got diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And um, so basically it got to the point where they said, we just need to back out, which was really easy, right? Because we had already gone through all the work in the operating agreement with the LLC, and you know, they just, we knew exactly what to do and we did it and there was zero stress. Um, and it was a huge blessing that they weren't in the middle of building a house, getting cancer and heart issues. It would have just added more stress and made it worse. Um, <clears throat> so it's really amazing how the Lord works. And also just that the Lord had, saw, had seen fit to kind of separate them um, from the business and from the household and everything before kind of that set in. It, it's just like the Lord orchestrated it all. 
um, to where when it did happen, then they could just say, we need to step back, and it was good for them, and it was good for us, so. We can take a, we can take a few questions. Um, so, you know, I, I think it just goes to show that sometimes we think, we, you know, like we don't like debt. You know, we didn't want to go into debt. But the Lord took us a different direction. And, um, and looking, and you know, when we were in it, we kept saying, well, if it's the Lord's will, then we'll just go forward, you know? And then the government shut down. We're like, man, we caused this. <laughs> but, um, you know, looking back, we can definitely see that the Lord was guiding and directing us through the whole process. So we have a few minutes before break, so I don't know if you guys have any questions on our, kind of our story, but if you do, the question was if we did anything to improve the soil, and the, no. Um, Janet, Richard, who was, so when we left Black Hills, they said, you know, we're going to start a farm, so they started a farm, and they went to the agriculture conference in Tennessee and I think Texas. And so he had already been amending the soil and getting it ready. So when we came, you know, the soil was, it was, pretty good it was pretty good. And it's still pretty good. So, but that, that was a huge hurdle that we didn't have to jump, unlike Seattle. So I don't know if this is uh, encouraging or discouraging, but it's our journey, right? And we're all on a journey. So... Well, we'd like to get to the point where we grow more year-round, but um, this year it just kind of shut down. So, well, so this year it, we had really cold weather that came middle of October, and it didn't leave. It just stayed. And it got to the point where, you know, we went from, I think it was about 2,500 in sales per week to 200. And I did that for about a week, and I was like, okay, this is... You know, all the tomatoes are dead, all the cucumbers are dead, everything's dead. So, so we live in South Dakota, and um, it gets very cold there, and the weather's really erratic. And there has been times that we have had tomatoes into November in a heated structure. And um, we can grow some greens and stuff, but the cost it takes to heat a structure in you know, if sometimes it's negative and it'll get up maybe into the teens, you know, for a week, two, three at a time. It doesn't usually stay cold that long, but if you're relying on your income, you know, to grow year-round and then you have a cold snap like that and it just kills everything. And we've just come to the conclusion that we can do some shoulder extension in the spring and in the fall, but the reality of growing, like in December and January in South Dakota just is not very realistic with the amount it would take to heat. And this, this kind of goes back to infrastructure. So, you know, we have this half acre greenhouse that we got from Kentucky, which was designed for Kentucky's snow load. We put it in South Dakota, it's not designed for that. So if we see that a big storm is coming, at this point, we have to open the whole roof, which basically exposes everything inside to the elements. So at that point, if we want to um, continue to farm, then we have to put hoops inside of that structure and create a second structure to protect the crops so that we can put row cover over it to keep it warm enough. So you know, this is where if you had a 30 by 100 that, that shed the snow, you know, it's just a different animal. And for us, once we have everything going, it'll be great. We'll have a huge amount of space. But right now, you know, so this spring we're in the process of putting in heaters, you know, eight heaters in there to basically be able to turn on to melt snow so that we can keep our roof closed, so that we can keep row cover in there and keep things going longer. But um, our challenges are different than maybe yours and for different reasons, so. So we, oh, go ahead. So we've had that discussion. We're going to talk some more finances um, in the next couple hours.
Um, and, you know, so our first year, we can be candid with you guys. Our first year farming in South Dakota, we made $30,000, and we were putting up a lot of infrastructure while we were farming at the same time. You know, we built that half-acre greenhouse that year. So the next year, we were still putting in, in infrastructure, but we doubled our income the second year. This year, we did not double our income because, you know, you've seen what we had the end of May, and then the first week of October, our season was done. And then we had our two partners get sick. We lost half our labor force. So we had a lot of things. But we anticipate that we will still have growth. And do we have a specific number that we're shooting for? <laughs> Six figures. I'm not, I, think, I think for us to survive without me having to work off the farm, it's probably going to take eighty-five to 90000 That's on the low side. You know, because... You know, typically a farm, you can figure like half, 50% goes to expenses and you can live off the other 50%. So or 40, reinvestment. Or, yeah, to reinvest or anything. So really, you know, even if you made 90 and you lived on 45, it's not, it's not a lot. Depends on where you live. Depends on your family size, your family size, your property taxes, all these kinds of things factor into that. And um, it's... Yeah, I think it's doable at, so right now, you know, we made 60 this year, and I'm working off the farm doing construction in the winter, you know, but, you know, I think this year I've made, you know, $18,000 off the farm, you know, so that's not a huge, you know, we don't have to double or triple our sales to get to the point where I'm 100% I'm on the farm, you know, it's only, you know, 18 dollars $20,000. $20, and that's really not that much if I put less money into the farm. You know, if I paid ourselves, if we paid ourselves more initially than putting it back into the farm, you know, we could do that quicker. So. And I just want to put this little plug in. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but there's inherent value in the farming because we save on our grocery bills a lot, especially in the summertime. We put up a lot of food. Um, we live a lifestyle that we want to live. We can be together as a family. We have our children homeschooled in this as close to Eden-like environment as possible. So for us, it's not about cold, hard numbers. It's more of like the lifestyle that we're creating. And um, there is a lot of inherent value in that. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.